kind of a refresher, things that I think as believers we know, but that sometimes we forget, and when we forget about some of the things that are foundational to what we believe, the enemy can come in and, and use what we've maybe forgotten to rob us. And so this morning, I want us to spend some time talking about a subject. Uh, before we do, though, it's appropriate for us to pray, right? Because what, what I have to share with you isn't going to be what you take out of here uh, and, and be changed by. It's what comes out of the Word of God, right? Amen. All right. So, Heavenly Father, we just come before you today, and Lord, we absolutely acknowledge that your Word of God changes us. So, Father, we receive it today, and we ask that your Spirit would fill us, empower us, and bring freedom through faith. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. All right. Uh, John chapter 11, verse 1 says this, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with anointing, uh, with, with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, The illness doesn't lead to death, for it's for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified in it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and so when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Does that sound strange to anybody here but me? Jesus, he's sick and he's dying. Okay, I'll be there. It'll be a bit. So just put your finger there. We're, we're just gonna we're, we're gonna come back to that. So he stayed two days longer in the place where he was, and then after this, he said to the disciples, "Let us go to Judea again." So they had just come back from there and uh, were being threatened to be stoned and killed, and the disciples freaked out about going back, which is a whole other story. We'll talk about that another time. But jumping down to verse 38, it says, and then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it, and Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, Lord, by this time, there's an odor. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is pretty serious, right? She's telling him, look, there, there's an odor. He's been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me and I know that you always hear me. I get a kick out of this part. He says, but I said this on account of the people who are all standing around that they may believe that you sent me. See, he's modeling submission to the Father in prayer, and he's also um, sh showing them that he's the Son of God through, through the action of, of submitting to the Lord. It's not just him stepping out on his own, you know, being a superhero. When he said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And I imagine at this point was probably the longest pause in history. As people behind are, are, are gathered around weeping and, and mourning. In fact, there were, there were people who were mourners that were paid to come to places where, where somebody had, had died and was buried, and they would mourn as their job. 
right, just to make it look like a big event. And so there were mourners who were around, who were, who were family. There were mourners who were just part of the community, and they, were, they would gather around. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, and, and they roll this stone away, and everybody's thinking, this is, this is sacrilege, man. Why are, we, why are you doing this? And all of a sudden, Jesus says, come out. And the weeping probably started to slow down. And the attention started to, to turn to this dark hole as people waited to see what's going to happen. And then the man who had died came out. His hands and his feet were bound with linen strips, and his face was wrapped in cloth. Jesus said to, him, said to them, unbind him and let him go. So it's interesting that um, Jesus had waited four days. He was, he was he was back with, with the disciples, and a message came, hey, the one who you love is sick. And he waited two days. But at that point, Lazarus was just sick, right? He hadn't died. But by the time he gets there, Lazarus had been dead for four days. So it wasn't just two days of travel, and then he sees him. There was a span of time where Mary and Martha said, Jesus, we need you. And he wasn't there. And we can, we can catch that story, but that's not the main point I want to make today. But I want to point it out that there's, there's something that's taking place here. That Jesus didn't quite show up right when they said, Lord, we, we need you right now. I don't know about you. You ever had that happen before? So it, it was believed among the, the Pharisees, uh, in fact, the Tanakh, which is the, uh, essentially our Old Testament, it's the, the Jewish Bible, uh, taught that a person, when they died, their spirit would hang around their body for three days. And that resurrection was possible. That's why the Pharisees believed that resurrection could happen, because the, the, the spirit's hanging around the body. But after three days, there's no chance of resurrection. It's done, right? It's gone. How long did Jesus wait? Four days, Right? Jesus waited for, for four days. See, providence requires the improbable. There are sometimes things just happen. It just works out uh, in, in our benefit. It's, it's uh, the un unlikely that it's going to happen, that it's going to work out the way we want it to, but all of a sudden, miraculously, uh, maybe by luck, things happen, and it's like, wow, that could have been God, or it could have been coincidence, but it worked out. Who knew? That's awesome. Right? We've had stuff like that happen in our lives, right? Where something happens and we think, it could have been God, and I'll even attribute that to God. But here's the thing. The miraculous requires the impossible. The miraculous always requires the impossible. The only one who does the miraculous is God. And Jesus waited until the point where those who were there could say beyond an absolute shadow of a doubt, this was not an accident. This was not coincidence. This was the impossible being made possible by the living God. It's the only explanation. It's the only explanation. Only God does miracles. Jesus waited until it was unmistakable. Do you have an impossible situation? Do you? Please don't think me insensitive 
But I want to ask for just a minute for a show of hands. How many of you in here need a miracle? We need a miracle. And the only one that can do it is God. Guess what? If you raised your hand, you qualify for a miracle. If you have an impossible situation, you qualify for a miracle. But there are some here today that, that, that I believe um, it, it's, it's always kind of been expected that God's going to show up last minute, right? For those of who have walked with the Lord for any length of time and we pray about things, it seems like God shows up kind of sometimes right at the, right at the end. But according to this, I, I want to remind us that God doesn't show up right at the last possible moment. He shows up four days later sometimes, right? But during that time, during that four-day season in our lives, sometimes what happens is we can, become, we can become resentful. We can become broken. We can, we can feel like, like somehow the Lord has rejected us or that He's, he's missed our prayer or He hasn't heard us because... He hasn't responded even up to the last minute. And I want to tell you today that the Lord, Lord hasn't forgotten about you. He hasn't missed you. He's waiting for the miraculous time. When it's no coincidence, no accident that things worked out, He's waiting for the right time to come in and He's going to save your day. I'm not telling you. The Word of God tells you. If we press into Him, don't give up. Don't short-circuit your miracle by saying God's not coming through and step into faithlessness. Continue to pray. If you've stopped praying, I want to encourage you today, start praying again and ask the Lord, Lord, I need a miracle and I'm going to believe you for it. Okay, can we do that? All right. For some of you here today, your miracle may be your miracle may be thinking it's going to take a miracle for me to have a relationship with God that, that I feel close to him. There are some here today that, that have felt so disconnected in their relationship with God that it would take a miracle to get back to that place of feeling like you're connected with God. But like I said, God's, in the, God's in, the, in, the, in the business of doing miracles, right? I want, to, uh, I want to tell you something this morning, and this is kind of the main point I want to make. And I, I, it's something that I've been thinking about for about the last two or three months, and it's really sh reshaped the way I view myself. It's reshaped the way I view God. It's reshaped the way that I view other people as I'm going about and just observing people in life. And it's, it's this statement, Jesus didn't come into this world and die to make bad people good. He came to raise dead men to life. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to raise dead people to life. Let that sink down in. Because it will change the way you view everything. Jesus didn't come to make you good. He came to raise you to life.
The message that, that Jesus uh, shared, the message from the Old Testament and the New Testament, the entirety of, the, of, of this Bible, uh, paints a very clear message that we don't have a good, bad problem. We have a we're dead and in need of being resurrected to life and need a savior problem, right? Amen. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Romans 7.9 says, I was alive once, this is Paul talking a, a little bit after the first, the first passage, he says, I was alive once without the law, and when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. This is a really interesting passage. I have the question uh, come up um, probably monthly uh, I, I'm asked by somebody who is completely heartbroken because they've had either a, a child die or have known somebody that has and been in, in some sort of relationship. And the question is, what happens? Where are they? And it's a heartbreaking question. But I believe that this passage speaks a tremendous amount to it, as I believe there are probably five or six other passages that, that uh, are a declaration that Little ones go to be with the Lord. And I'm going to tell you why. So Paul wrote this, and he says, uh, sin revived and I died. Here's the thing. We know that Paul didn't actually die, right? He went on to write a whole lot of other letters to a whole lot of other churches after this one. And so if he's not dead, what's going on? He says, I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. He's speaking spiritually. He says, I was alive spiritually once. What's going on? I was alive spiritually once. He's speaking of a time before the law had become alive to him, before he knew the difference between right and wrong. Paul declares, I was alive. And this is the same guy who was trained as a Pharisee and believed at one point the same thing that the Pharisees believed about the three-day death resurrection thing, right? This is the same guy that after being in the presence of God said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? The Lord changed a lot of his thinking through spending time with God, through, through with Jesus. And so what we have here is, is him saying, I was, I, was, I was alive. And then when, when the law came, when I understood the difference between right and wrong, all of a sudden, when I could make that choice, everything in me chose wrong. The Bible says that if, if we sin once, we're guilty of sinning in every area. Right? And so then at that point, Paul says, I became dead. I was alive once without the law, but then the commandment came, sin revived, and I'm dead. But here's the awesome promise. Ephesians chapter 2, same author, Paul writes to, to another church and he says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses, our sin, it was by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace, expressed in His kindness in Jesus Christ. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and not from yourselves, it's a gift from God. So for those who have received this gift, for those who come to this place of, of receiving Christ, remember, Christ didn't come 
to make bad people good. He came to raise dead men to life, right? And so, again, that's what Paul's talking about, being raised to life. How are we raised to life? 1 John 1, 9 says if we can confess our sin, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's been called the Christian's bar of soap, right? That's how we become clean and alive in Christ. And what happens when we do? What happens when we do? Sin has now lost its eternal power, its eternal penalty. Sin has lost its present power in your life. And sin will lose its future presence in your life. Sin has lost its eternal penalty. In order to understand what, what that means, it's eter- the eternal penalty of, of sin, the Bible says, is death. It's spiritual death. That's what Paul was talking about. In order to understand what that means, we kind of have to have a little bit of an understanding of the Roman judicial system, right? So when somebody was arrested in, in Christ's time, they'd be taken into custody, they would go before a judge, and they would be, if they're convicted, they'd receive a letter. And this letter was, was titled, Debt to Society. It was considered that if you, were, if you had committed a crime against society, you now owed society a debt. That paper was handed to the jailer, and you would fulfill your time. When your time was over, the jailer would write something on that piece of paper. Tetelestai. And it means, it is finished. Right? Who remembers the last thing Christ said on the cross as he was dying? It is finished. That is the stamp on our paper our debt to heaven that was death because of our sin, Christ said, it's finished. I've paid that on your behalf. Your eternal penalty is wiped out because of the, because of the cross. It's paid in full. Sin has lost its present power in your life. At that point, you're a new creation in Christ. Sin has no more hold over you. The things that you wrestle with, the things that we we struggle with, are broken. Before we know Christ, the Bible says we're a slave to sin. We just do what our soul tells us to do. Our mind, our will, our emotions, all these things that just say, do this, do that, feed yourself, feed those selfish desires, do whatever you want. We, we just do those things mindlessly as a slave without even knowing it. But when we come to Christ, something happens. He empowers us. His Holy Spirit fills us. And all of a sudden, our spirit becomes alive. But there's a problem. It's in contrast to our soul. right? And the Bible says in uh, 2 Timothy, uh, I think it's 3.16, it talks about how the, the Word of God divides between the soul and the spirit. And we start feeling a sense of tension Right When our heart starts saying, our spirit starts saying, that's not the best for you. I have better for you. Right? We start feeling, we start feeling some tension. And listen, this tension is a good thing because it's pointing you towards life because sin has lost its power in your life and sin will lose its future presence. Listen, there's a promise in the Word of God that we don't really talk about much for the believer. It's the promise of hell. Listen, here's the promise for the believer. 
when it comes to hell. Everything that has caused you to sin, to stumble, to fall into pain and hurt and hopelessness, all those things are going to be wastebasketed. There's a promise of hell, and for the believer, it is a good one. If you're not a believer, I would encourage you, receive Christ. It's not a promise that was ever made for you or intended for you. It was, it was a, it's a promise that was made for, for hell or for, for Satan and fallen angels and for the things that ruin our lives. God's grace is free to receive. He loves you. He, want, he wants to have a relationship with us. But here's the thing, when, when we receive Christ, when the penalty has been broken, when the, the power, the presence is, is broken in our lives, when, when sin loses its, its presence in our lives in the future, here's the thing that we have to understand. You are made in right standing with God at that point. You are in right standing with God. When you say yes to Jesus... You are in right standing with God. There's nothing that will come between you and Christ, between you and the Father. Nothing. You cannot be moved. You cannot be moved. And you cannot be removed. Now, here's the thing we can walk away. Right, the prodigal son story. We have this, this a story of a, a prodigal son who takes the inheritance from his father. He leaves. He squanders it. He finds himself sleeping with pigs. And then all of a sudden he realizes, man, I got I to go home and maybe I can be a servant in my, in my father's house. And he goes back home and, and where's the father? Right? Waiting for him, looking for him every single day. In fact, he'd already made his way down to the, end of the, dri- the bottom of the driveway and was waiting, looking for his son to come home. Right? That's God's attitude towards you, no matter what our failure, no matter what our sin, no matter, our, no matter our, our faithlessness, any of that stuff, you are in right standing with God. Jesus didn't come to make you good. He came to bring you to life. But here's the thing, we have a problem though. Everybody point at me. Everybody point at me for just a minute and, 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 and repeat after me. You stink. <laughs> now, pay no attention to the other three fingers that are pointing back at you. All right, so moving on. Yeah, there's a problem that we, we stink. See, once we've been made alive, we have this issue of grave clothes, right? Once we've been made alive like Lazarus, we have a bunch of, a bunch of grave clothes to remove. It's the rotten parts of our character, the stinking thinking, right? The things that push others away, the things that ruin our life, habits, behaviors, attitudes, sin, secrets. How do we remove this stuff? One act of faith at a time. How do we remove this stuff? One act of faith at a time. How do we remove this stuff? One act of faith at a time. And last time, not to ridicule you, one act of faith at a time. How do we remove this stuff? One act of faith 
One act of faith at a time. The reason I'm asking you to repeat it is because we've got to get it down in our soul. It's one act of faith at a time. Is it one act of doing good things at a time? No. It's one act of faith at a time. One act of faith at a time. We take these behaviors, these faithless behaviors off. When I was, uh, when I was uh, a younger guy, I'd, uh, I had a car, and I thought it was awesome. I liked working on my car. Actually, I hated working on my car. That was a lie. I just lied. I'm not a good person. Um, <laughs> good thing I have faith. Uh, so so I, I, I hated working on my car, but I had to work on my car or it wouldn't get me to work. And, and so I was, I was under my hood trying to figure out what's what, and I thought maybe the problem is I don't have enough coolant in my radiator, right? I found out otherwise. I decided I'm going to pop that radiator cap off, and I did. Well, you're not supposed to do that when the car's hot. Right. And it shot hot coolant right up my sleeve. And I was like, oh, man, that can't be good. And it really burns. And so I, I, I was at a gas station. I went in the gas station, and I, I walked behind the counter, and the guy's like, hey, oh, you're not supposed to be back here. And I'm like, hey, man, I just got this bad burn. I went in there, and I turned the water on at a sink on, on my wrist to cool it off. And, and I, I will spare you the gory details. But needless to say, I, I wrapped it up, and I went to the doctor, and they looked at it. They cleaned it, and it really hurt. And they wrapped it up. And they said to me, all right, you're going to need to, you're going to need to, to about every 24 hours, 36 hours, you're going to need to remove this bandage, and you're going to need to scrub it and clean it. And then rewrap it. And they gave me like a big old supply of stuff to, to tend to this wound. And I thought, that sounds horrible. Have you ever had a wound like that, and you've had to tend to it and scrub it? Man, and that is the most painful thing. Because like, why can't I just leave it wrapped up? Won't it be fine? No, it's, it'd start to stink and get gross, right? And, and that's not going allow to allow it to heal and, and become healthy again. See, as we're believers, something happens. I told you that our spirit becomes alive, and now our soul and our spirit are, are, are in contrast to one another. And, and what happens is the Lord, as we walk with Him, and as we spend time in His Word, He begins to reveal things to our hearts and our minds that are stinking thinking and all those things I talked about that are, that are bringing death. And he says, I want to get you out of that. I want to free you from those things, those sins, those, those things that are holding you up, those, those, those thoughts, those behaviors. I want, to, I want to help you remove those. But listen, it's painful. When we have to recognize and look into our own soul and see the brokenness, it causes us to want to do one of these. Man, God can't look at that. Man, this, this stuff inside me that's horrible and, and uh, man, God, God can't see that. I must be far away from God if, if this stuff is in me. Without realizing that it's the Holy Spirit Himself revealing it to us so that we can be free from it. But here's the thing. It'd be like... So, so, so essentially what happens is we default from, instead of addressing that thing, and, and the way we get, get rid of it is, like I said, 1 John 1, 9, we confess sin. Lord, there's this thing in me that is broken, and, and it's a horrible thing. Jesus, would you forgive me, and now by your Holy Spirit, move me past this. And as we do, grave clothes start coming off, 
right? Restoration starts happening. Every time we resist sin, every time we stand against a temptation, grave clothes coming off by the power of the Holy Spirit. But like I said, it's kind of a painful experience sometimes. And we think maybe the Lord's not even involved in it. Maybe, maybe it's just me being whatever, right? And so we try to cover it up. We try, you know how we cover it up? By trying to be good people. We decide, well, I don't want to address that because it's painful, and I want to be closer to God, so if I do the right, the next good thing, if I be a good person, then I can cover that thing up. It'd be like having a dead cat in your house, and instead of getting it out of there, we break out a can of Febreze, <laughs> right? Oh, man, it's horrible. Oh, that ought to fix it. That'll be totally better now. Got to walk to the kitchen, get a piece of cake. Oh, dang, maybe that'll just go away. (laughs) But that's not how it works either, is it? We got to toss that thing out. But we want to get like the be good can of Febreze and... But then what happens is people who know you're a believer start recognizing, hey, what's, what's different about you? Hmm, nothing. <laughs> That's weird, right? Because we're all like, I'm supposed to be different, but yet we don't because we're still trying to be good people just like everybody else is, and we still stink just like everybody else does. <laughs> But the thing is, Jesus is trying to bring us to a place of, of healing, and it comes, it, comes through, it comes through faith. It doesn't come through, through, through being a good person. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 through 4 says, For whoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our being good. I don't think that's what it says, right? He who overcomes the world... Our, 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 that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith, right? Who's the one that overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, right? That's where it starts, and that's where it ends. Where does our faith come from? God, I hear that kind of reluctantly. It's like, is it, is it, is it God? I mean, I heard, is it under the cat? I mean, I mean is, where, where do we get this faith? Romans 8, 28, we, we read it a little bit earlier. It says, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, right? Remember, grace is God's attitude towards you. Faith is the gift given to you to show you that he has favor towards you. Faith comes through him and it's deposited in you to carry you, to heal you. But sometimes, like I said, we kind of, we kind of mask this stuff. And um, that's what I want to spend the last few minutes talking about. Have you ever been, been uh, in trouble with your parents? I mean, you guys, some of you are our parents, and it's been a long time, but I had enough trouble when I was younger uh, to remember the getting called first, middle, and last name, right? You guys remember that? Right? You do, you do one thing stupid, you get called the first name. You do the same stupid thing two times, you might get first and last name. But 
you know, when you, when you do it 10, 15 times, pretty soon you start getting the, the, the first, middle, last name, some glares, um, you know, they start getting, getting kind of angry, right? Seth Allen Hodge, get off the roof. I learned things the hard way. Anybody else? Right? Some, some of us in here, yeah, nobody's putting their hand up. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, some of, some of us learn, learn the hard way. And that's one of the things I love about the book of Galatians. Galatians, Paul is writing to, to um, a group of people that um, kind of learning the hard way. And I think it's kind of funny because we have a tendency to think of the Bible as kind of being, oh, it's gentle and kind of politically correct. And the reality of it is, so Paul's writing to, to a bunch of people, the book's titled, or the letter's titled, uh, the, the letter to the Galatians. Uh, the, the Galatians were, were a group of churches that were in a region called Gaul. The majority of them were barbarians and um, the descendants of the Hittites, right? And so, so here they are, he's writing this letter, and Galate, to call somebody a Galatian would be essentially like calling them a redneck, Right, and Paul writes this letter, and he makes a statement, that, and, and he says, "I'm going to read it to you." But it's essentially like him saying, "You bonehead rednecks!" And I was like, "He wrote a letter to me! <laughs> Woo! That's me speaking right to me. It's great." So, so let me read this to you. Galatians chapter three, verse one through six. He says, "Oh, foolish Galatians! You bonehead rednecks! You got to get this right." Because here's the thing, they had begun exchanging faith for being good religious people in an attempt to feel closer to God. And that's what the entirety of the letter is about. And that's, that's kind of what I was talking about earlier, where we, where we set aside faith because we feel, like, we feel like as the Lord's wanting to remove grave clothes, He wants to remove some of this stuff. We, we, we go and we, we revert to trying to be good people, and that's what they had, they had done here. So he says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified, right? You understand the cross. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit of God by the works of the law, right? By being good people? Or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Have you begun in the spirit and now you're being made perfect in the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain? And indeed, if it was in vain, therefore he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the work of the law or by the hearing of faith? And then he makes a point. Just as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him as righteousness. He makes in great big letters, faith, not works. So then he spends a good deal of time talking about, uh, about the works of the law and how frivolous it is to try to become closer to God through being a good person and upholding the, the Jewish law and circumcision and all those things. They're not going to make you closer to God. You're in perfect right standing with God because of faith, because, of you, because you received him by faith. He did miracles among you because of that same faith. He works in your life because of that great faith, that same faith, the faith that he put there, not a faith you earned. He says this in Galatians 5.16. This is kind of his conclusion to, to um, kind of that, that whole move through, move through works and the law and all that. And he says, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. That kind of sometimes can, can make us think like, 
philosophically like I'm walking in this like spiritual place, or like what's it mean to walk in the Spirit, right? And Paul actually talks about the idea of walking in the Spirit throughout the majority of his letters, and what he's talking about is faith. He's talking about acting in faith. And so if we look at this again, I say then, walk in the Spirit or walk in faith, and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. What are the lusts of the flesh? Faithlessness, right? We have faith contrasted with faithlessness. And he says, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. There's that contrast. And those are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Have you ever thought as a believer, man, I'm going to trust God in this and, and I'm going I'm to give it all I've got and just put my faith out there and start praying and then all of a sudden things hit the fan and you think, man, I've got to come up with a solution for this on my own. I've got to take matters into my own hands and then you just run with it, right? I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of that. Every single one of us probably at some point we wrestle with this kind of stuff and that's what Paul is saying uh, that so that we, do, that we don't do the things that we wish. As believers, we wish and we want to live by faith. But sometimes when reality hits, we take matters into our own hands. He says, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You're not going to be judged according to the law. He's making the contrast that now we're held accountable to faith. Right? We're held accountable to be people of faith who now trust the Lord. And then he has a list here. Listen to this. For the, the, uh, uh, now the works of the flesh, or faithlessness, are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry. And he has this list. How are these things faithless? Let's take a look. Uh, number one, what do we got? Adultery. When I am a person who is being led by faith and I'm trusting the Lord, I'm believing no matter what the condition of my marriage, God is going to heal my marriage faithlessness says I need to go somewhere else. Right? Makes sense? Paul is talking about we need to be living by faith. Fornication, right? I need to take matters into my own hands. I'm afraid of a commitment. I'm afraid uh, of, of being held back. I'm, I'm afraid of all these things. We're being led by fear instead of being led by faith that I can wait. God has a plan. Right? The difference between faith and faithlessness. And he goes on in this long list, idolatry. Right? It, again, that's, that's a, a, a putting our trust in something that's not God. It's, it's putting faith in things that we can control. An idol is something that's made by human hands, right? I mean, we fashion stuff, we make things, whether it, it used to be uh, things carved out of stone, uh, now we have idols and cars and anything, all, all sorts of other things, but they're things that we control, right? Ultimately, I'm, I'm projecting something, something awesome into this particular thing, and I'm trusting in this thing, but really I'm trusting these, right? I'm trusting myself because I'm greater than that thing, right? It's faithlessness, all these things, murders, envy, dr drunkenness, rivalness, they're, they're, they're all faithless behaviors. And Paul is encouraging them and would encourage us to live by faith every day in the decisions that we make. Uh, verse 23 says, But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith had come, we're no longer under the tutor. For you're all sons of God through faith in Jesus. For as many as you were that were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
So the law was a tutor, right? The doing good, the being good, all those things, uh, the, the, the Ten Commandments. In fact, the Jews had, I think it was 618 laws in order to be just good enough to be accepted by God. What, do, what does a tutor do? A tutor is a teacher, right? What did the law teach us? That we're not good enough right? The law was there to teach us we can't measure up. And at the point where, we, where, where creation began to get the lesson, Christ came to say, I'm the way. Yeah, I'm it. You can't meet the standard. I am the standard. It is finished. Now come to me and receive the faith He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, uh, self-control. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we live, if we're made alive in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. That's called taking off grave clothes. right? Paul says the same thing we began this message with, that we need to walk in faith be made alive and then begin taking off the grave clothes in faith, right? Every circumstance, every decision that we make, every behavior that we, we, we do, every um, thing that we react or act upon has a response. Everything that comes into our life is going to require a response. What is faith's response For those of you who need a miracle, for those who are just wrestling through life, I would ask you this morning, according to your current circumstances, the things you're wrestling through right now, there are two responses, a faith-filled one and a faithless one. I want to ask you, what is the faith-filled response to your current circumstances? If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is dropping one in there right now because he's faithful the Bible says that, that when uh, we are tempted God will provide a way out so that we can stand under it that verse is specifically, specifically speaking to these kind of circumstances where we don't know what to do and when we say Jesus my flesh is telling me that I need to do this because I have a solution. If I lie about this, it'll be covered. I think I can lie my way out of this one. And the Holy Spirit's saying, trust me. There's a faith answer to this because the just will live by faith. Trust Him. What is faith's response to your circumstances right now? See, the lie, I believe that the enemy has been trying to to, to push on the church for 2,000 years is that I'm not good enough. God is judging me. Therefore, I need to, I need to find a way to span the distance. Right? But here, here's the truth. The truth is He is good enough so He's loving you. 
we have to renounce this idea that there's anything that I can bring to the table to accomplish this relationship that wasn't already accomplished on the cross. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning, and Lord, we are going to believe with all of our hearts, Jesus, that you didn't come to make bad men good. You came to raise me to life. And when I receive you, your forgiveness through repentance, I am made in right standing with you. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Not height, nor depth, not principalities, not powers, not things present, not things to come, not angels, not demons, not any other thing can separate you from the love of God. Now, Father, I pray that that would sink down into our soul today. And, Lord, it would bring us to a place of freedom where now, in faith, we can begin removing grave clothes. One faithful behavior at a time. One faithful attitude at a time. One resistance to sin at a time. Knowing that you are carrying us to life every single day. I've asked Steve to come up and lead us in a song. And as he does, I would ask you, if you've given up on a miracle, I would like you to worship in faith today and believe for restoration. If you've been struggling to be in right standing with God by, by, by behaviors that you feel like you can never be good enough, I want to ask you to worship today in freedom. You are free. You are in right standing with God. And I want to ask you, the, the last of you, if you've never come into a relationship with Jesus, then I want to submit to you Christians borrow soap. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sin. And he will cleanse you and set you in right standing with him for eternity. The presence, the power of sin are broken in your life by saying, Jesus, I need you. Lord, would you forgive me? I need you. Let's take a minute and let's worship.